Hello, listeners. I'm Dr. Shantae, the host of Whole and Complete Podcast, and this is the podcast all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well. And I am excited for this third episode in the cancer series because I told you that in this podcast, you were going to hear more voices than my own. And my very first guest, she was the first person I thought of for this series in particular, is a licensed clinical social worker, my friend, my soror, one of my favorite people in the world. Her name is Christian Owens. And Christian is the CEO and lead therapist for Resilient Child Therapy out in the DMV area. And so she is such a tremendous expert and just, I love her thoughts and her approach to child therapy and, and cultivating resilience, which is something that we've not really talked a lot about in our upbringings and in our communities. And so Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be a part of this conversation. So listen, let me tell you guys how this works. So I sent Christian the episodes ahead of time. So she heard them before <laughs> you guys heard them. And after she heard the first episode, she was like, oh, girl, this is fire. So I hope mm -hmm. you all thought it was fire too. And so I want to open the floor up. And I know that you've taken your notes, you know, you've made your list and checked it twice. And so I'm going to open the floor for Christian to approach this the way that she wants to kind of facilitate. So if you want to start with the first episode or the second episode or jockey between the two of them and just kind of what were the things that jumped out to you about the cancer series? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I will first thank you for having me. Um, this is such a, a privilege to be a part of this conversation, especially when talking about trauma in childhood and how things that we're experiencing um, as adults can first be manifested in childhood. And so it's so important to have these conversations and to just have an awareness so that we can uh, address these issues as soon as possible. If, you know, if we can, as soon as possible can be um, just first having a conversation, an open conversation about these things amongst one another. And even if a child is unable to get help during childhood, it's still just as helpful to get help whenever you're ready for, for help and, and healing and, and addressing these things. So I, I think the first thing for me that jumped out is just the importance of paying attention to the child and the child's needs. I think that, uh, at least in my experience, when I when working with children, by the time I see a child, it's usually when behaviors have hit a peak and they're unable to function in school, grades have dropped, um, they're battling with parents, they're struggling with their friends, they're not eating, they're not sleeping. So by the time I see a child, it's gotten to the worst and uh, the school has, has intervened and made recommendations and referrals and whatnot. Um, and so it's, it's important to, I think, number one, to have a relationship with your child, um, to have a relationship just period, because the, the relationship is honestly what begins the healing process. And so the relationship noticing certain things about the child, noticing if something just isn't quite right, seeking help, you know, seeking help immediately, even if it's first, the first point of contact being the, the pediatrician. I think that just having a conversation and about what's going on in the child's life is so important. So actually, mm -hmm. you've raised a good point and I want to jump in right there because mm -hmm. that conversation piece is where the train tends to fall off the tracks. And, mm -hmm. you know, even though this, this podcast 
I think so many people can benefit. Um, my experience is just a uniquely Black experience because I can't mm-hmm. speak too authentically about what it is to, to grow up in another culture. But mm-hmm. in Black communities especially, I found that the open conversation piece doesn't happen. That's mm-hmm. the part where things happen in families, people don't talk about them, you're not allowed to talk about them, or, and you're certainly not allowed to talk about it outside of the household because that mm-hmm. is, that's like a violation of like the black code. That is a taboo. Yeah. You do not talk about what happens in this house, outside of this house, and the social stigmas that kind of come along with that. And I have my mm-hmm. own thoughts about where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you are a person of color or a minority or a, a member of a marginalized group, mm-hmm. you already are contending with stereotypes about your people mm-hmm. quote unquote. Mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. one bad apple can make the bunch look bad or or can reflect negatively on the bunch and so when you're mm-hmm. carrying that sort of kind of like critical race awareness around with you on a day-to-day basis and then you mm-hmm. go outside the household and say these bad things are happening in my family especially mm-hmm. to someone who's not black Absolutely. then it's like in oh my gosh, the the backlash, the whiplash, it is so swift and it's very mm-hmm. real. And so that mm-hmm. open conversation, I think, is where a lot of people are getting hung mm-hmm. up. A lot of children mm-hmm. kind of get hung up in that pipeline. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree. And it's like I said, it's one of the reasons why sometimes I see kids when things have just hit the fan. And so, yes, a huge part of it is just this fear of, of sharing, of this fear of telling the truth. Um, if I share this and this is something that's happening in my home, what could happen to me? And, you know, and so I think that conversations, even outside of the home, need to be had, whether it's in a, a school setting, whether it's boys and girls clubs, churches, like there needs to be more. And I think that, I, I think there is a lot more awareness around trauma nowadays, especially with research studies like the ACE study that was oh yeah that was performed by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente regarding childhood abuse and neglect and household challenges and how that leads to later life health and well-being difficulties. And so I think that there's so much more that's out there that people are starting to become more aware. And even if a child doesn't verbalize, because a lot of times children don't always verbalize what's happening to them they a lot of times you know that something could be potentially going on just by the shift in their behaviors and their mood and their sleep and their appetite how they're interacting with their peers their parents and so sometimes that can be more telling than verbalizing and so if you if you have a relationship with a child in any capacity if, if it's a genuine relationship, you will be able to notice a shift in a child, even if it's very, very minute. I can tell, even with the clients that I work with, I can always tell when there's just something slightly off. And when I say something slight, it can be something as small as, you know, I can tell that you are tired. I can tell because there's that relationship that I've worked so hard to establish with that child that I can, I notice just certain shifts in in their mood and their actions just by being in an office setting and so it just it requires a connection and and that's where that's where the healing begins both whether it's in a therapeutic setting or non-therapeutic setting but creating a relationship where I can I notice when something's not quite right you know whatever that might mean.
So mm-hmm. I can tell you from experience. So I've read, I think her name is Nadine Harris Burke or Nadine Burke Harris. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. is kind of like one of the foremost leaders and thought leaders on ACEs, which is Adverse mm-hmm. Childhood Experiences and that mm-hmm. survey and how those traumas can facilitate in adulthood. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she has said is that one of the ways that you cultivate resilience in a child is to have a buffer adult. And so yes. if there is an yes. adult and some craziness happening in your household, mm-hmm. there's usually hopefully one adult, whether that's a teacher or mm-hmm. a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle that kind of takes the edge off. It's the person in that child's mm-hmm. life that believes them, that listens to them, that advocates mm-hmm. for them, and in many ways protects them. You know, I remember mm-hmm. <laughs> this caused some contention in my household um, because there was a time where we lived with my grandmother and mm-hmm. I was acting out as a result of, you know, some of the trauma that I had experienced. And obviously that was very frustrating to my mother. And I just remember my grandmother saying, as long as I'm living, Shantae got a place to stay. Like, so, <laughs> so you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, grandparents uh-huh. always stepping in. But I mm-hmm. needed that. That woman, yes. she saved my life and she mm-hmm. believed me and she protected me and she advocated. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that she never did any wrong. I mean, because who among us is perfect? Mm-hmm. But what Christian is speaking to is sometimes you have to be the buffer adult in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I know how dicey it is to quote unquote get involved in mm-hmm. people's households. And that is a very delicate, tight rope to walk, Mm -hmm. but it's necessary when you notice these types of things Mm -hmm. and you know, your gut is telling you, or your spidey senses are telling you, or the Holy Spirit is telling you, Mm -hmm. "Mm, you might need to intervene. You might need to ask questions. You might need to, to reach out and Mm -hmm. follow that because so many children don't get help when we stay silent. Absolutely. And it's, and it is a very, it is uncomfortable if you notice that something is all, or even if a child does verbalize that something has happened to them, you know, but the thing about most, most uh, states, the, the laws around filing a report, like if you're filing a, a, a child protective service report, if there is just, even if you, there's an inkling and it doesn't, you don't have to have evidence or anything, but if you have an inkling that something is happening, whether it's neglect, abuse of any type, you are protected as the reporter if you would like to, you know, to file a report. If you, if you decide that whatever the child has shared with you or just your own spidey senses, your concerns, your intuition, your discernment leads you to believe that something is going on um, where the child's safety is at risk, you can file a report to your, you know, your state's child protective services department and you're protected. And then it's their job to then follow up with the child, the family. Um, And most of the time they will do that in the child's school setting to protect the child. And so, and then there's also, there are a number of, um, you know, in addition to the ACE study, um, which the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, they provide within the CDC, their website, just some fast facts about child abuse and neglect and prevention strategies and risk and protective factors um, to just be aware of. But it's just, it's that, that relationship piece is so, I mean, and that honestly, when it comes to assisting a child in a therapeutic setting as a therapist, like my, my first, my first intervention, if you would, is just connecting with that child because their trust has been, that trust has been taken away. Like I can't Mm -hmm. trust the adults or I can't trust 
a person, an attachment figure. And so before I do anything else, you know, helping them to process the trauma and all of that, I first have to establish a positive rapport in a safe therapeutic environment. And that's even so, like I shared, with a non-therapeutic space, the, what you have that connection, it then becomes therapeutic. That's the beauty of it. It becomes therapeutic, even if you aren't, you know, a licensed therapist. It's just being genuine and helping the child recognize that they are, they are seen, they are heard, and that you, mm -hmm. that you hear them and they, they're understood. And you're going to make sure that they're safe and protected, that buffer. So it's something that we always like joke about, um, especially in our community, when we say things like, I see you, okay, I see you, <laughs> you know, but this, this notion of being seen, mm -hmm. I really can't say that enough. And even in adulthood, so not just for children, but, but saying mm -hmm. that I see you, I recognize something mm -hmm. in you and I'm letting you know that I'm validating your existence oh, yeah. and I'm validating and your experience. Your yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and your experience. And I mm -hmm. think that one of the the things that we struggle with is admitting that for decades, centuries even, we have normalized trauma. So yes. let me say this, in sharing my cancer story, I want to be very clear that my mother's abuser never physically put his hands on me, never physically put his hands on me. And I think that sometimes we think that, well, if you don't have visible bruises, then it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. and, but when you're in a household that is chaotic, when you're in a household that's toxic, even if you're not being quote unquote physically harmed, it's still a very traumatic environment, especially for a child, because you feel trapped in that space. And the person that's supposed to be your advocate or the one that you run to, what do most kids do? They run to their moms when they're mm -hmm. hurt. Well, mm -hmm. when that option is taken off the table, it becomes a very precarious situation. And there's also this things too, where physical punishment, at least in my day, mm -hmm. <laughs> very mm -hmm. much a part of the disciplinary experience. Mm. You know, there's a fine line between getting whooped and getting beat. And so what we used to see is that fine line. I've, I've been one to go and get the belt. I've been one to mm -hmm. go and get the switch or the paddle or the paint stirrer or the house shoe mm -hmm. or the hot wheel racetrack or what have mm -hmm. you. Um, <laughs> And then, but we we saw those episodes of good times where Penny was getting burned oh, with yeah. the iron. And mm -hmm. so we were like, well, if I'm not getting burned with the iron, yeah. it's not that bad. And there's still a lot of debates in, in our community that say, oh, yeah. oh, you need to whoop these kids. That's what's wrong with them today. Mm -hmm. Y'all ain't whooping them like you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many of these cultural dynamics that mm -hmm. are complicating the conversation. And mm -hmm. when it gets complicated, a lot of people just tend to opt out and say, you know what? I'm not going to get involved. You're so right. You're so right. I think you just hit the head on the nail. <laughs> the nail on That's the head. It. That's it. That's it. I mean, and so it requires... As a mental health professional, I do a lot, a lot, a lot of what we call psychoeducation. Just lots of education about development, like what's a normal childhood development and how kids exhibit, if they're experiencing some kind of struggle, distress, how it comes out as behavior issues, because kids don't have the ability to verbalize their their pain i mean some adults don't so and Whoa. i try to do a lot of that <laughs> a lot of that relating even with parents like you know because a lot of times they have a hard time understanding just 
being a kid and I think childhood is a culture. So I talk about that with parents that childhood is a culture and your job, because we're so far removed from it, but our job as parents, as caregivers, as coaches, as you know, all of these different types of attachment caregivers is to be willing to, to learn the child, to understand the child's culture. And childhood now is very different from childhood years ago, even last year. I mean, things Hello. are changing. They're exposed to so many things before they're ready for them developmentally. And so I do a lot of education around what's developmentally just appropriate for a kid. And then even with adults, when I'm working, there are times where I'm meeting with adults that are dealing with childhood related traumas and just normalizing their experiences and normalizing that the way they responded or reacted to something was very normal for a child. And it wasn't something that needed discipline but it was that was that was your response at 14 at 13 and so a lot of education happens <laughs> sometimes I do more educating I feel like than I do therapy but the psychoeducation is a part of the therapy and one yeah. of the things that I wanted to I brought Christian into this conversation because there's this old saying that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure right mm -hmm. and so early intervention, just like in cancer, early detection is always better than when it is late stage, it's metastasized, it's spread, and mm -hmm. oof, there's just not a whole lot that you can, can do. Mm -hmm. But if you can speak to a little bit about how these things manifest in adulthood, because mm -hmm. you work with them on the front end, but mm -hmm. let, me, let me tell you something, listeners, you grow up and you go dating and he looked good and she looked good looking good has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not this person <laughs> is mentally and emotionally spiritually well adjusted okay mm -hmm. that's saying all that glitters is not gold and so mm -hmm. my personally as a single woman my criteria my dating criteria has totally shifted <laughs> i'm not saying you you can come in here looking like a foot because i still have standards okay like mm -hmm. you know i don't mm -hmm. look saying everything but they something but beyond that, okay, beyond that, it's like, okay, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about yeah. your upbringing. What kinds mm -hmm. of issues uh, came out of that that you're still struggling with or have you resolved those issues? Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Those yep. are the conversations that I, I see as kind of like those first date conversations because I'm like, forget mm -hmm. all the window dressing and the fruit. <laughs> Like, no, we need to get to some real stuff because it's very easy because we are, are coded in silence as, as people we're coded in mm -hmm. silence. We don't talk about it. We don't share it. We don't out the family. It's a betrayal of sorts to do that. We're very good at masking mm -hmm. the real issues. And so can you just speak to that part? Cause cancer is one of the things that my doctor told me when she found the, the lump in my boob, she said, all cancers start small and mm -hmm. all cancers grow. Meaning right. that is that is a fundamental truth. All of them start small and they mm -hmm. all grow. And so Christian mm -hmm. hopefully works with children when it's small or small-ish, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it does grow. So can you speak to that piece? Oh yeah. Well, you know, I I also work with adults too. So oh, okay. and, and teenagers. Yeah, I work, but my majority of my population uh, includes children as young as three all the way to 17. But I do have 
some young adults. So, and, and what I see is just years, like years of just buildup, honestly, it's just buildup of stress because that's essentially what trauma is, is stress to the body and the brain. And so we think about, I'm just a little bit of neurobiology is that, you know, when we think about how we experience a threat, okay? So trauma is a threat to the body, it's stress. And so we naturally go into this fight, flight, freeze response. And the thing is that if we have not healed and unearthed and healed those, those things that cause those initial reactions to the body, then when there isn't a real, you know, a, when there isn't like an actual threat, because this is how anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder manifests itself, is that when there isn't a, an actual threat, we will go into that fight, flight, freeze response when that's, that's not what's going on. And so, you know, it's a good thing that we have that reaction to, to stress because that is what allows us to survive. And so when there is an actual threat, we want to either fight, flight, or, or freeze or whatever, you know, we want to have that sort of reaction. But the thing is that in adulthood, by the time I see an adult or even a teenager that has waited so long to address the trauma, the stress in the body, they are then struggling in their relationships, being able to make and maintain relationships, whether they're romantic or platonic, there's issues with sleep, there, it impacts their immune system. And so they're always sick, it increases the, their risk for, for physical illness. I mean, it, it, it just, the list can just go on and on and on. But it all starts off with just this stress that's in the body that we sometimes we just think that if we just don't address it, that it'll just go away. But that's not how trauma works. We have to address, we have to, as Jay-Z says, we have to reveal it in order to heal it. And so that has to happen or what's going to happen is in the future, excuse me, in the future, you know, whenever we perceive something that reminds us of our trauma, we're going to go into that fight, flight, freeze response. And so that then leads to, you know, some of the disorders that are out there, depression, anxiety, PTSD. With some of my children, I end up seeing them with opposition to find disorder um, and other disruptive behaviors. And then that can also exist even in um, adulthood, then sometimes turns into some risky behaviors. So yeah, I mean, it grows like a, like a, like a cancer. It, I mean, that's exactly what it is. So, first of all, Christian just dropped some bars. She even threw a little hole in there. Okay, for y'all, y'all that big cat, she threw a little hole in there. I, I, I see you. Um, so, one of the things that I want to make sure that that we bring out in this episode is that listeners start looking at the patterns of your life, right? Mm -hmm. So, start looking at patterns. I had a friend who cleaned obsessively. And when we see things like that, we're like, oh, she's type A or she's anal or she's OCD or things like that. But for her, she said, this is the one thing in my life that I feel like I can control. Mm -hmm. And so, and we do that in childhood. If we feel like there were situations that we could not control, then we become adults and we try to control so many dynamics to try to regain that power. And sometimes that manifests in really toxic ways. So one of the things that I want you guys to do, listeners, is to start looking at the patterns in your life. Look at your patterns of thought. Look at your patterns in your relationship. Look at your own immune system and start asking yourself some questions. Are there some things that I haven't resolved? Which brings me to my next question for you. Is there... Is there a point where it's just, it's too late? It happened too long ago, mm -hmm. it's too far gone, and is, is anyone ever beyond therapy? Mm -hmm. 
Is anyone ever beyond the scope of being able to find some sort of peace and resolution with things that happened long ago in, in our past? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's never too late. It, it's never too late. The good thing is that I'm, like I said earlier, is that you know you're seeing more and more uh, research um, and information that's being shared about trauma, and I think more and more people are becoming more aware, self-aware of their own traumas, and they're willing to get help. Now, uh, getting help doesn't necessarily always mean psychotherapy. Some people feel more comfortable starting with other things first, and then sometimes they may find their way to psychotherapy, but regardless of whatever it is that you find, it has to be addressed. And, and the way I'm just thinking about the way in which I work with even my adult clients is that, you know, addressing a trauma doesn't necessarily mean talking about it. You know, there's so many different types of ways to process a trauma, to, to do trauma work, whatever that is. But, you know, it can always happen at any point in time. The beautiful thing about the way the brain works and the body works is that we have this thing that's called neuroplasticity. And that is when our brain, if we create new neural pathways in the brain, and so that's how our uh, our, our nerve um, cells connect and, and create uh, new perceptions and experiences and whatnot and, and, and the way in which we see the world and see ourselves, that can be created at any point in time. In childhood, we have even more neuroplasticity, but the thing is that the brain can can learn new things, can learn how to feel safe. The person, a person can learn how to feel safe in their body at any point in time of their life, as long as they're willing to do that work. And it's not going to be easy. I always tell clients, you know, therapy, tell the children, tell the children, this is not easy work easy. and it's not quick, no work. quick work. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not easy, you know, and I've had many clients say, you know, I thought that when I started therapy, like, it was just going to be nice. I, you know, I was going to be skipping out of here, but I'm walking out of here just, you know, <laughs> snot nose. And broke down and raggedy. Down <laughs> broke down. Yeah, trauma work is soul work because it's, it's, it's housed so deeply in our body. And that's how cancer works is that, you know, you can go get a blood test. You can do the whole workup. And sometimes the cancer is not detected until we then do the deeper assessments like the MRI, the cancer, all of that stuff. And then we, then we find it and then we treat it with these very heavy, intense interventions. That's the same thing with trauma is that it's not going to be a cakewalk. It requires doing deep soul work, getting deep into the body. And that goes beyond talk therapy. So the way in which I do um, trauma work is I do very brain body based interventions because the thing is that trauma is not just held in the brain, it's the entire body. We experience the trauma through our senses. And so the interventions need to include the senses. And so, you know, I just, I had a conversation with a family not too long ago. I saw a, a kid not too, a couple minutes ago before hopping on the um, the episode. And I was explaining to them how, if you think about like a wound, if a person has like a, a wound or a sore on their body, in order for it to get better, it gets nasty first. And so, you know, it's, it has to, pus has to come out and it smells and looks awful and it's bloody and it's just disgusting, but that has to come out. That has to be unearthed in, for, in order for healing that new skin to come. 
And so that's essentially the, the same thing when it comes to our emotional wounds that we carry on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to take time, but it's, it's being willing to do that dirty work in order to honestly have a lifetime of freedom. Like if, I, if that's what I got to go through to release this and not carry it on to the next generation, then that's just what I got to do. Ooh. And finding a supportive person to do that work with carry on to the next generation so that's it you guys yeah. these traumas they impact so much more than just us in some ways it makes us hyper vigilant parents because when i think about mm -hmm. some of the things that i've gone through i know that it definitely made me a better parent i was like oh absolutely <laughs> not i'm very thankful for my job i chose this job um, because it's an ideal the hours are ideal for for, for parenting. And so I can take my child to school and I can pick her up and I can make arrangements so that I'm there and very much so present in her life, you know, and that doesn't allow opportunities for other influences to come in the mm. way that they came into my life. At the same time, I want to go back to something that Christian said that, yeah, it is going to get ugly before it gets better. It is going to scab up and it's not going to look too good, but it's not one of those things where you can take a lifetime worth of hurt, pain, disappointment, discouragement, feelings of, of betrayal, and think you're going to skip out of therapy in two sessions and be like, well, <laughs> okay, okay, quack, quack. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't do some work, work. No, you're going to cry some ugly tears. You might have to write mm -hmm. some things down. And none of this negates the work of the Lord. None of mm. this negates church. None of this mm. negates the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I will say mm. that in my therapy, God has been my partner in this. Mm. He, mm -hmm. he has allowed the Holy Spirit to guide me into places that I know that I was too fearful to go or too reluctant to go or too bitter to go. Yeah. And, and that soul work, I know the calling that I have on my life. I, I feel like I've been called to positively impact people but it's hard to do that when you're carrying so much mm. unresolved weight you know it, it literally is a cancer I remember reading the definition and the definition was something like that cancer is like this uncontrolled growth of abnormal cells in the body and so old cells do not die and instead they grow out of control so those old wounds do not die. Those old feelings of stress and that initial impact, it does not die. It grows out of control and it forms these abnormalities. And so when we think about why our relationships aren't working or why we don't communicate with our partners or with our friends the way we're supposed to, or why we're so quick to cut people off and cut them out of our lives and they're always the problem and it's never us, those are abnormalities. Those are not the normal cycles and trajectories of normal healthy relationships. And so that cancer it just spreads and spreads and spreads. But as Christian said, there is hope. And so I want you to kind of leave us with what are some of the things, because some people just cannot verbalize. Talking is just way too hard. And so because you specialize in some of those alternative therapies, you know, what does that look like for grownups? Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. like yeah. Yeah. And, you know, well, it might be crayons, but you know, tell us what, <laughs> what are some of those things that people can do besides talk therapy to help develop uh, that neuroplasticity that you were talking about mm -hmm. that we can have be safe and feel protected and and healthy and at peace mm -hmm. that's a good question good question well, i you know sometimes i do play therapy with adults you know so because it's just sometimes it's not the words just are not there 
And so I, I can show you rather than I, you know, better than I can tell you. So sometimes it, it may include play therapy and I have some adults and teens that will go there and I just meet them where they are. Um, I also, um, I- Wait, um, can you define also, that? What is play therapy? Sure, oh, good question, good question. So play therapy is the use of play expressive arts to be able to process experiences that are not always easy accessible through the use of our, our words. Um, and that's just a very easy definition of it. But sometimes I may have an adult, I'll give an example. I had an adult who could not really verbalize what anger looked like, what it felt like for her, because it would just happen so quickly in her relationships. And so I said, you know what, if, if anger could be a cartoon character, what would it look like? What would its features include? Like, what color would it be? What, you know, and so we, we created anger through the use of art. And, you know, and she was able to process a little bit more just by creating this contained piece of artwork that we ended up using, we've used throughout her sessions. And then we talked about like, well, then how was the anger felt throughout your body? And so then we incorporate some mindfulness techniques where we teach her, I'm teaching her how to notice on her body when she's experiencing anxiety and where is it and the intensity of it and teaching her um, ways to be in control of her body. Because a lot of times when we've experienced trauma, like we, we don't, we no longer sometimes trust ourselves anymore to keep ourselves safe because I couldn't do it then and so why now and so it's teaching a person to befriend their body again to 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 notice you know the different things about their body and responding to it versus reacting to it um and so things like yoga therapy I incorporate that into my work um with clients I'm now doing um something called brain spotting I encourage you to google it um but it's also another brain body based technique that teaches clients to be able to tap into that deep part of the brain using the visual field so it's some pretty intense stuff but it's so effective and honestly out of all of the different ways in which um, that you know that I can assist the client to be able to process their trauma the key factor I'm gonna go back to what I said earlier is the relationship because if you don't have someone that you can trust that you're working with then honestly none of these interventions matter so it's so important to to find someone that you feel comfortable working with that has some knowledge and understanding of of working with someone that has trauma particularly if if you're a person of color i think that's very important to have someone that you feel connected to so that you can let your hair down and really dig deep and do the soul work so that was a long-winded answer but <laughs> no i appreciate it because um for someone like me i'm a i have been a very guarded person. I am mm -hmm. the queen of boundaries in terms of like cutting people off, building walls, not not bridges. And that mm -hmm. is, Christian hit the nail on the head. In order for you to do this work, you are going to have to allow someone into a sacred space. You are going to mm -hmm. have to allow someone into the chamber of secrets, into the closet, into the wherever you are, and partner with them. And I just remember my first session with my therapist when I told her about some of the things that I was struggling with. She said, I'm so sorry that you went through that. I know that must have been hard. Translation, she showed some empathy. 
And my initial reaction would usually be, oh, you ain't got to feel sorry for me. I'm good. I'm cool. I, I, I got a whole doctorate. I'm educated. I, I do a podcast. You, you better ask about me, you know, is to get defensive and deflective. But, you know, it's okay to allow someone to say, I'm sorry that you experienced mm -hmm. that. And it's okay for you to grieve the loss of the childhood mm -hmm. that you thought you were going to have. And, and those things just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. All of those things are okay. But until I was able to let somebody into my world and to help facilitate that process, there's no way that there is no way that I could have done this on my own. And that mm -hmm. was the part that I kept coming back to in, I was talking, I was doing this self-talk. I'm like, Shantae, what is wrong with you? You've done things <laughs> like, come on, like, what is, what is the deal? And this was harder work. This was work that was harder for me to, to manage. And I appreciated mm -hmm. it because no matter who you are and how great you are, all of us have blind spots. Absolutely. All of us have things that other people see that we just don't see. And I have blind spots. And so one of the benefits of the therapeutic relationship is having somebody come into your life to be able to see those blind spots in a way that maybe you don't and give you some additional work to consider or some additional mm -hmm. patterns in your life to mm -hmm. consider. So we could talk about this for days. And this will mm -hmm. not be Christian's last visit to the show. I'm going to invite her back throughout this, this podcast for other series, because I value her perspective so much. Thank you so much for being yeah. on my new show. Oh, I'm thank so you. so happy that you dropped by because this woman has a lot going on, y'all. She didn't <laughs> been to the White House. She didn't <laughs> met Michelle Obama. She ain't just sitting around twiddling her thumbs. You know, she's a wife and a mother. And so anytime you can carve out of your day to come and just share and pour into my listeners, I so appreciate mm -hmm. you. And so listeners, if you found value in this episode, make sure that you hit me up at Dr. Shante Says on Twitter, on Instagram. Instagram. And if you have any pertinent takeaways, you know, make sure you use the hashtag whole and complete. And Christian, please tell my listeners, where can they find you on social media if they want to reach out? Sure. So on social media, I have two pages. So um, my business page is on Instagram at resilient child therapy. And so adjust that. And then I also have my own personal page as well that I pretty much just use for professional reasons, but and to share information. And that's Christian. Um, the And that's K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N letter L C S W um, on Instagram. And then on Facebook, you can also find me um, at Resilient Child Therapy as well. That's right, y'all. Put some respect on her name. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> But thank you guys so much. And so um, if you found value in this or Christian helped you, please reach out and, and give her a shout out. Let her know that she helped you open up some perspectives and I will see you guys next time.